Hey, I'm Green. And I'm Gort. And this is the KISS Communication, where we'll be subjecting ourselves to every piece of KISS media ever made. Yeah, all of it. All of every single part of it. Until it's over. Someday. Rip and tear until it is done. Yep. (laughs) So, this week's album, the fourth studio album from KISS, Destroyer. Uh, Notable about this album is that it has a producer. Yeah, it's not... (laughs) I think the last ones had producers, but they were just like shitty or like they were like per track. They were not per album. Yeah, it was. It was like their manager or like their record guy was just like he he was just standing in the studio like there. You know, (laughs) like this this is the first album with like an actual professional producer working on it start to finish. Yeah. Um. And it makes a difference. Uh, this guy, so it's Bob Ezrin is his name. Yep. Um, and he's, the, the big thing he worked before this was um, Kiss, before or before Kiss was Alice Cooper. Yeah. Um, which was basically. Yeah, I mean, there's, you, you can see where, where the through line goes with that. I mean, they've, yeah. they've cited it before. Um, yeah. But he's worked with a lot of bands. Uh, he also worked with Lou Reed before kiss and then later with pink floyd deep purple and fish uh you were just at a fish concert right i was at a fish show yeah uh friday friday night yeah yeah uh Um, big ass amphitheater Um, so the reason the reason this podcast is late dear viewers is because uh gort here was uh incredibly inebriated after that fish concert I I don't know about incredibly. I, mean, I was fine. I was just tired. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, this album obviously notable for having a producer, and you can tell when you listen to it that there's a producer on this album. Um, mm-hmm. Production-wise, every single one of these tracks, as we're going to talk about probably as we go into them, is just way above and beyond everything we've heard previously. A lot of them are still kind of boring, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. But even the boring ones are like musically way more interesting than oh, the yeah. last three albums for the most part. Um, yeah. Uh, so this is this is a really cool album. Um, I can understand why this is the one people talk about. Yeah. This one. I'm surprised it's only got like. There were. Only a couple songs uh, before, or that I knew before going into this album, um, because I expected as much as I I knew this album more than I knew the songs on it. I guess if that makes sense. Yeah. Besides the obvious uh, first one. Yeah. So there's one big sleeper hit on this album that we'll talk about later too. Mm-hmm. Uh, one that they didn't expect to be as big as it was. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, do you want to get into the first track, or do you want to discuss some other stuff beforehand? Uh, let's get into the first track, and we'll discuss that after the album. Because I, I know what you want to talk about, and it's going to be in the back of your mind the whole time anyway. So. It sure is, yeah. yeah. I would also like to talk about the Fish show, but don't let me go on too long about it, because I'll probably ramble. <laughs> uh, was it cool? It was very cool. It was, That's uh, neat. There was like 11,000 people there. I was pretty sure I was going to get the Delta. Um uh, I was a little and you wore a mask, though. right? Sure. I'm vaccinated, right? <laughs> I'm good. 
Um, right. So uh, <laughs> when Gort starts coughing halfway through this podcast, uh, don't be concerned because Gort is vaccinated. Yeah, it's just because I choked on some chips, probably. All right. So first thing going into this, uh, side A is four tracks and side B is six. Ooh, bigger side yep. B. Bigger side B. Not really, because the last track on side B is like a minute long. Yeah, and it's a, it was a secret track. It wasn't on the original track listing. Oh, are you talking... Yeah, it wasn't on the listing, you're right. Uh, there's also a re-release of this album that has an 11th additional track on it, but w- I didn't listen to the re-release. I don't think you yeah, did either. I didn't either. But uh, yeah. the, the final track on the album wasn't listed. It was a, considered a secret track, which isn't really yeah. a thing anymore. It's Yeah, since we moved away from like the CD format, it's kind of stopped being a thing. Um, yeah. It's, it's hard to say it was a secret on vinyl because the record would just keep playing, right? Well, that's the point, is that if you let the record keep playing, yeah, I guess, I guess it works the best for, like, tape, right? If you had a... Well, I, I think it works the best for CD, because the C... So, secret tracks on CDs, uh, because the CD has a table of contents, what it does is it tells the CD player not to play that additional track unless you skip to it. Oh, really? I yeah, didn't know that. so... Yeah, so, like, for example... um. Corn has secret tracks on like all their albums, and uh, if you just let the CD play, it'll hit like the end of the main tracks and then loop back to the start. It won't go to the secret tracks normally. It depends on your CD player too. Some will just ignore it and keep going. Huh, that's cool. But yeah, the way because it's a digital format technically, uh, they can just do that, right? Like you can skip to it and you'll hit it, or if you don't, then it won't play. Right. It's not a analog where. Yeah. But there's yeah. no track. The only track indicator for a, a record is what's on the sleeve. So it's just kind of yeah. the, it's just secret tracks. Then are just like tracks that just aren't printed on the sleeve. Yeah, and I mean if you're if you're sitting if your couch locked already and the record's just spinning, it's gonna hit the end anyways. Um, but yeah, so side A, track one, Detroit Rock City. Uh, something I didn't know about this song because I've heard uh, this song gets a lot of radio play, right? Yeah, it's a like I, this might one. be it's one of the most radio played Kiss songs, I think. Definitely um, the most well known off of this album. I would say so. Yeah. Uh, so the this song is about in. yeah, this song's about a fan who died in a car accident on the way to a Kiss concert. Yeah, it's weirdly heavy. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of dark. Um, it's a song about drinking and driving a little bit, uh, which I mean, this was this was like the peak of it being socially acceptable to drink and drive, right? Yeah, he just had you a know? little handle. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, but it's still like a party rock song, still. Like, yeah, it still it, is. Kiss can only, well, I guess not on this album. We'll see later, but it feels like at least this song, like they can only approach these topics through. The, the one kind of song they know how to write, which is like yeah. a party rock song. I, I think there is like a radio edit of the song that cuts out like the long uh, intro of like voice clips from the news. Yeah, but that was really, I mean, that was really unique in in terms yeah. of what we've seen so far. Um, yeah, and we're, we're going to see more really unique stuff with this album's production as we keep going into it. I know I keep yeah. talking about it, but like this, this album's production is really cool. Um. 
but yeah, it's it's got a bit of like a sound collage with like radios and, and city noise. Yeah, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of neat. starting up, you know, so it's supposed to yeah. set the scene, I guess. Yeah, and there's uh the way this track kicks off is great because you you get that like dun na 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 yeah yeah um. It's been a hot minute. It has been a bit since I listened to it. I I just recently listened to some of them to refresh myself, but I thought we were doing it last week. You kind of caught me by surprise with the the episode last week. Yeah, I wanted to do the Donda joke episode, so I didn't listen to the album, and then Donda didn't come out. Yeah, that was the real joke of the episode. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But you even hear Uh, uh, rock and roll all night at the beginning. Yeah, you do. You get a little sample of it because the idea is that he's like driving to a Kiss concert, so he's playing Kiss on his radio. Yeah, but and but that that's also interesting because it was the uh, the last track of the previous album. Yes. So it's like a little bookend continuation there, as well. Yeah, it's neat. It's a neat little uh, touch. Um. Uh. So there's the chorus of this. Obviously, is is great. You know. The get up, um, dun, dun, dun. like, yeah. There's, there's, uh, there's energy nothing, there. Yeah, the whole energy of this track is great. I think uh, this track has more energy than anything we've heard on the the previous three albums. Yeah, especially in the drums. I think the drums have really stuck with me in this one. Yeah, uh, there's a drum fill that plays like going into the instrumental break after the second chorus, mm-hmm. and that sounds fucking cool. Yeah, it's like he's. It's always felt like he he doesn't push the beat. <laughs> like Peter Chris is one of those drummers who stays like right on beat, and that's not in a good way necessarily. Yeah, you know because there's some this... instances. There's a track I'm going to talk about a bit later where he stays on the beat, but it's like for the purposes of like creating kind of a steady. Oh beat. yeah, but like it. This is one of the first tracks I've really heard that really has that push that this kind of like like cock rock yeah. needs. You know. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's got that energy to it that we didn't see previously, and I think, I think the the production, I think just having a producer to sit down and say, "Hey, you got to make this sound a certain way," uh, did a lot for them to, you Definitely. know. He also taught them how to tune their instruments. Yeah. Um, which <laughs> was an yeah, it, it doesn't. <laughs> they just it, didn't it, really it doesn't know how. sound like a, it doesn't sound like a grunge album anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, what year was this album? 1976? 76, yes. Yeah, so I'm going to do the thing that I always do where I look at what albums also came out this year. Uh, you got Jailbreak by Thin Lizzy, um, arguably doing what Kiss is trying to do, but way better, I would say. Um, Jailbreak as a whole is an amazing album. 2112 by Rush. Aerosmith. Oh, you can't. You can't. You can't compare any album to Twenty One Twelve. Are you just gonna fucking? It's just gonna be Twenty One Twelve every time. No. Yeah. I mean, I'm not comparing. <laughs> I guess I'm just like here's. It's just like the context. So it's interesting to me to put like uh, yeah, like Blue Oyster Cult, Agents of Fortune. You know, so that that kind of music yeah. was. Uh, Steely Dan was becoming more popular. Um, Aerosmith. So you had, like we've talked about before, there's that like Prague to generic pop rock divide that kind of happens in the early seventies with, with, you know, like we saw in, yeah, in these albums like that. 
Yeah, and I feel like going through those previous albums, it feels like Kiss was sort of there before almost everyone else in this kind of genre, which is interesting. It it definitely um, is, and it feels like they were pulling from a lot of things to try and create something that is more marketable, right? Because you can yeah. feel them pulling from um we've talked about before all their different weird inspirations and you know inspirations and quotations yeah so much but even even like um wow why can't i think of the band um black sabbath you know there's that that sort of those heavier grungier riffs that that are very like black sabbathy but feel more um marketable i guess yeah Um, but also 1976 you have boston's debut album um and the ramones debut album just to give you like <laughs> a, a spread of things that you have here things are starting to change for rock and roll as a genre at this yeah. point in time yeah. um as well as uh one of parliament's earlier albums too so like yes. music is is broadening <laughs> from the early 70s i think of what is like really popular yeah. um yeah Wow, imagine being like in New York and like choosing to go see Kiss over the Ramones. That was I mean that that was what most people did, right? Yeah, cuz the Ramones were probably like well, they'd been the playing were... in New York for long enough to get a studio album. Yeah, but the, the Ramones were playing in like that one punk bar. Yeah, that, that all the yeah. all the acts played in, so they probably weren't even that stand out at the time among everyone that was playing there, right? Yeah, I bet that album probably is probably even more like popular or successful in retrospect of what the Ramones became, you know? Yeah. Um. But yeah, you you're starting to see the earliest forms of punk kind of come together. Um, there's there's diversification going on in the in the rock genre at this point in time. Yeah, um, and yeah. so it's going to be really interesting further on to see what Kiss sounds like once you... I mean, we're about to start getting into albums when, like, the Talking Heads and The Cure are releasing stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's interesting to think about, too. Um... Anything else you want to say about this time period, really? I, I mean, this is, you know, the mid-70s. We're starting to go into the 80s where there's this huge like massive explosion of of different stuff happening in rock music yeah really it starts in the late 70s but that's when it's really gonna start to become interesting to compare to what's um releasing yeah like for these past albums like oh yeah you've got like prog stuff happening at the same time as more you know like wings paul mccartney and frampton like more yeah and prog like, like early prog at this point is like peaking like 2112 was right. coming out this year. 20, you had 2112, um, 75 the year before was Wish You Were Here, Pink Floyd, right? Yeah. Um, uh, Blue Oyster Cult, and uh, who's the one that did Carry On My Wayward Son was also 76. Kansas. Kansas, yeah. So yep. Blue Oyster Cult and Kansas had their debut albums this year, too. So that that tells you something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And And... So going back to Detroit Rock City, um, I don't know if you clarified, but it's about it's about a real Kiss fan. It's not a like a fictionalized. Real Kiss fan. Yeah, like there is a it's... like Paul Stanley heard a story about a dude who died in a car accident on his way to a Kiss show, and he wrote this song. 
about him. Or, well, he wrote, like, a verse about him. He, like... Well, the whole song is kind of about him, if you read through all the verses. Right, but I think the song was actually written before, and he was like, this song would match, and he, like, wrote a verse that connected it to that. Yeah. The, like, I gotta laugh. Yeah, I think think they probably, they had, like, the chorus written, and they just wanted to, they had to throw some some verses together, and that was that. Uh, This song has, like, four verses, which is about twice as many as most Kiss songs. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it has, like, and they're all different, you know? It's not, like, a repeated verse. No, yeah, they're all different. Um, um, they they really whipped them into shape. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This Have song it. is a this is a really really strong opener for the album. Obviously, I don't think we need to say that. Like, it's obvious. You know, this song gets played a lot. It's yeah, a big deal. Um, but I th- I, th- I think it's probably one of my favorite song tracks on the album so far. Like, the openers are always pretty good. Like yeah. the openers are usually the best one on the A side, which is usually the weaker side. Yep. Yeah. That's so far, kinda, it's been all the cool stuffs on the B side, right? That's the trend we've seen. But I think, I, don't I know. think this album is just steady all the way through. To be honest, I actually I think the A side is better on this album for the first time. But we'll get to that. We'll discuss okay. that. We'll get to that. Um, you have to remember the A side on this also ends after track four. That's true. Yep. Uh, track two, King of the Nighttime World. Uh, so they do something that I don't think they've done yet, which is ending one track and having it lead right into the next one. Like it segues right in. Yeah, there's like a car crash noise, and then it's the the guitar hits for the next track, King of the Nighttime World. Yeah, it just keeps going. Um, the vocal delivery on this I think is kind of fun. Uh, I think this is Paul Stanley, isn't it? I'm the king. I'm yeah, pretty it sure is. it's Paul Stanley. Um, um, but he's doing something very different on this one compared to what he usually does. Yeah. yeah. Um, this song, according to Genius, and I just read this, was uh, not written by Kiss. Not written by... Uh, it was written by Michael Anthony and Kim Fowley in their band, The Hollywood Stars. Yes, I think and they... The, the from what I understand, was, they never... Yeah. Yeah, it, I don't think they, I don't think Mark something. Anthony and the Hollywood Stars actually ever performed this song. Yeah, and it was brought to brought to Kiss by the uh, yeah by the producer. And you can tell they doctored it up a little bit to be like a Kiss song because if you go yeah. and look at the Hollywood Stars, they're they're not the kind of band that would that would sing these lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So what is this song about? What is Explain to me what King of the Nighttime World is, as if I've never heard it. Like, it's about it's about like, hitting on a woman. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like you a know, lot of them. It's, uh, well, it, it's it's more like a, a woman's the, the 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 narrator, so to speak, is already with a woman, and it's just kind of about how cool it is to hang out. Yeah. Um, there's a there's lot of talk about this, hanging this, out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the hanging out is obviously like a. a you know a euphemism for just for just having sex but um you know it's it's just the way it was written at the time so is this like verse one it says uh it's so sad living at home far from the city and the midnight fun it's so bad going to school so far from me and the dirty things we've done is he like 
I'm hoping it's like college, right? That's the benefit. Yeah, not of the like doubt. a teenager. That yeah, I hope he's not doing a Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah, he just he he left the city to go to a college town, and he's you know. Don't worry do you know about, about do you know about that Jerry Seinfeld thing where he was just allowed to was, date a teenager because her parents were cool with it because it was Jerry Seinfeld in like the late nineties? Yeah, wasn't it in like a specific state where they had like a weird Romeo and Juliet law? Yeah, it's like as long as the parents were cool with it was the law or whatever. I don't remember what I think it might have been. I don't know what state it was, but I guess I I guess some parents just signed off on. You know, a forty-year-old man dating their daughter um, because he What's was. What's the deal with teenagers? Yeah, he's like, I gotta pick my girlfriend up from school. Ah, <laughs> oh, jeez, George. <laughs> Jerry, that's a that's a dangerous school zone. You don't need to be caught in there. You get smashed by a school bus, Jerry. You know, just like. <laughs> I, I can I can totally see like a Seinfeld plot where like Jerry is openly dating a teenager and Kramer is trying to hide that he's also dating a teenager. <laughs> it's like it's like the it's like the beginning of Scott Pilgrim where he's like, he's like <laughs> <laughs> except even weirder. <laughs> like Scott Scott Pilgrim's friends held him more accountable than anyone did Jerry Seinfeld in in the late nineties. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I don't want to say it was a different time because it was the 90s and he should have known better. <laughs> but it was like, I mean, like, there was like paparazzi at this girl's school because she was dating Jerry Seinfeld. And she was like, you know. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird situation. Wild. Anyway, yeah. so yeah, this song is about loving and uh, just like wishing he Hanging could out. be with his girlfriend. Or maybe yeah. enjoying that he's with his girlfriend. Yeah, it's it's there's not there's not a lot lyrically going on to suggest what exactly is going on here. There's a couple songs like there's this one and, and a couple other ones on this album that almost feel like they're written from the perspective of a teenager, though. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, like like maybe even if that's just the audience that they're targeting. Like the Beatles kind of did that early on. They were in their like mid twenties and they were still writing like teenager like lovey dovey doo wop songs or i don't know mid 20s isn't yeah but they were also baked out of their minds and hanging out in the back of vans yeah doing livered podly and stuff <laughs> in you know liverpool <laughs> bangers and mash bangers. <laughs> uh i don't i don't have a whole lot to say besides like the chorus gets played a few times like the chorus the, is all right, yeah. It's, the it's king, not bad. Like you hear that he's the king of the nighttime world a lot. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, I, Kiss, I understand. Kiss never had great hooks. Is, yeah, I understand thematically why this is a song you would give to Kiss as a producer, right? Yeah. Um, but it just ever so slightly kind of veers off the mark, you know? Yeah, it's. I think it's the fade out that made me hate the chorus because they just fade out on the chorus and you hear "King of the Nighttime World" over and over and over again. Yeah, that is kind of lame. King of the Nighttime World. <laughs> yeah, but it's. Uh, a, it's any... a, it feels like a standard Paul Stanley. Yeah, you know? it's it's just not that it's not that remarkable. Is there anything else you want to say about this one? Um, 
No, not particularly. Me, me neither. Yeah, let's move on. God of Thunder. This song rules. This song rips. <laughs> so and it was... this is this is the uh, this is the one where I was talking about where Peter Chris is doing this really steady drum line, but it like the song benefits from it. Yeah. Oh yeah, in this one, dun, 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 dun. like it's right on there. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's like a very steady like dun 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 dun. dun. Um, yeah. That's not the the riff. Yeah. But... Uh, so Gene Simmons is doing the vocals on this one, and you can tell it's a Gene Simmons song. Like, but it's not written by Gene Simmons. Yeah, it's written by Paul Stanley, which is it's interesting. Paul Stanley um, trying to write a Gene Simmons song. Yeah. And then the anecdote that I read was that Gene Simmons tried to write a Paul Stanley song, and it was absolute garbage. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like they had a challenge to to try and write a song like each other did, and Paul Stanley succeeded, and Gene Simmons did not. Yeah. So they just sense. scrapped it. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Um, lyrically, the song is cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it has a really cool kind of vibe to it. Uh, it's been covered by. Oh, I bet. So many bands. Uh, White Zombie covered it. Uh, Eagles of Death Metal covered it. Death covered it. Melvin's, Melvin's. covered it. Death would be... I want to hear the Death version. That sounds cool. Yeah, I'm kind of curious about that, too. I'm going to look up a few of the covers off this album. I'll talk about that as we get to the B-side. Yeah. Why I want to do that. I was talking um, to a dude at a record store about Kiss, and he told me that the, the Melvins... Because we were talking about covers... And uh, yeah. he he said he showed me they had that the Melvins had did uh, like Kiss did where they each member had their own like solo album that had their own like, uh, all he, all written like in the same style as Kiss and he showed me where he had them and I almost bought one. <laughs> he was trying you almost to get bought a sale the Peter Chris one. No, I almost bought the Melvins one. Oh right, right. I like the Melvins. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, this song yeah, so is this... very like metally. It's talking about being born on Olympus and demons and it I mean this album feels like they are leaning into like everything even more, you know? They're turning yeah, it, and it's I think, up to eleven. I think that's it's, good. Yeah. This I mean, some of this feels like almost like tenacious D levels of like Yeah, kind of leaning into like goofy, campy yeah, campy shit. Like yeah. just just the like campiest like rocking demons you know like yeah um so another thing about this track that's cool production wise there's like sound effects going on there's like these sample voice clips uh, yeah there's some really weird production on the outro some spooky sound effects and stuff um they recorded and... some of the vocals the way they did it was they were they they had a walkie talkie and they held that up to the mic yeah, and there's this <laughs> there's this guitar break on the instrumental that almost it has that sort of clean distant sound that you would find on like a Foo Fighters song. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, it it, it kind of has that what do you call that like post rock I think is the word for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, post rock what... is more like stuff like Daughters or Swans. Yeah. That's what I think of when I think of post rock is more like just like weird like noise rock, but yeah, Foo Fighters is 
just that I guess it's that like modern stadium rock sort of I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, it's kind of got that sound to it. Um that sort of clean, sort of filtered, distant, echoey sort of Yeah. Yeah. I think you don't hear that a lot from music of this era. No, you don't. Um I think these are probably some of the best lyrics that Paul Stanley has ever written because they're not like about a woman. And so that's just unique for him. Yeah. And uh, it's, this is like a cool, like puff song, right? Like it's just, yeah, I'm the, I'm the God of thunder and rock and roll. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Spill your under will rob you of your virgin soul. They do Um, repeat like, that last the verse, third like, verse yeah a couple the of third verse is cool though so that's fine yeah the lord of the wastelands a modern day man of steel i gather yeah. darkness to please me and i command you to kneel like and you know like every time they played this live gene simmons was like just all over the stage spitting blood Cast over people up. just yeah. yeah just doing his thing you know yeah um, <laughs> I, I have to look at the video because <laughs> Apparently, the early version of this song had a much faster tempo with Paul Stanley doing the vocals, and it sounded like shit. Oh, yeah. I think a faster tempo could be cool, because I do think this song does kind of drag a little bit once you get towards the end. Or it's like, or maybe yeah, even maybe. just like a section where it got a little faster, like if the solo or whatever, but it... Yeah. Maybe I've been listening to too much Fish and jam bands, and I want things to change on <laughs> a <laughs> 20-minute... Like solo where the tempo changes like eight times and yeah, and it gets all spaced out and yeah, yeah. Um, I don't really have much more to say about God of Thunder. It's a really cool song. I understand why people like it. Um, it's very in character for Gene Simmons, which is ironic considering it's a Paul Stanley song. Yeah, but it like like we said, it's Paul Stanley trying to write like Gene would. And trying to write yeah. a song for Gene, you know, so it's it's tailored to him by a better songwriter. <laughs> yeah. So this uh, this next track, "Great Expectations," this is the last track on side A. Uh, um, yeah. So this is the first of quite a few instances of orchestral breaks in in this in this album. Yeah, the New York Philharmonic that the producer that was the orchestra that the producer brought in. Yeah. Um, Which is uh, one of one of the uh, one of the most prolific orchestras in the world. Yeah. Um, New York Philharmonic is not something to scoff at. No, yeah. Uh, so yeah, this this opens with like piano. It's a it's a piano sonata by Beethoven. Um, yeah, they the sample they they sample it. <laughs> yeah, they kind of do at least. Yeah. Well, it's not really a sample. Like they no, had, the, I think Bob Ezrin is like actually playing the piano for it. It's an interpolation. Um, yeah. Yeah. Whatever that means, genius. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, is this uh, who sampled dot com? So this is this is like kind of a more standard horny Gene song, uh, very Rolling Stones esque in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, Especially it, it, it feels like Gene Simmons' take on "You Can't Always Get What You Want." Yeah, it does. It's even got like the the choir. Yeah, which is I think it's it's so funny that you bring in the children's choir on a song about like your sexual expectations. <laughs> like it's such a weird choice to like like when I heard it, I 
I like had to pause it. I was driving in the car and I was like, they brought in a fucking children's choir for this. <laughs> it it like caught me off guard. Yeah, it's um it's very it's a very interesting choice. Uh musically I think this song is great. Uh in the chorus it goes real nuts. You've got great expectations. Yeah. It, <laughs> yeah. It's Again, I think the choruses are a little long in the tooth. Um, like I like time... what's going on with like the production and the music and the chorus. On I do too. Album. But by the time you get to the end, because they always fade out on the chorus, you're exhausted of it. Yeah, although when they fade out on the chorus on this one, they do have like a bit of variety going on with some some additional lyrics. Because like the choir will sing a line, and then Gene will sing like a response. Yeah, you know. Yeah, they've got the the children's choir singing the Great Expectations. Yeah, this song was good. This is why I say I think I like the A-side better, because Detroit Rock City to Great Expectations are just like, that's a solid block of songs. Like, King of the Nighttime World is the lowest, and even then, it's not that bad. It's not a bad song, no. Yeah, I don't think there is a bad song on this album, um, which is, I I think, the first first time I've been able to say that. I hard disagree with that, but we'll get to that. Okay. There's well, a song I'm interested I, to see what that. There's a song I really do not like on this album. Uh, oh, yeah, we'll get to that. So, side B, uh, track one, "Flaming Youth." Um, this, this was the other one I was talking about that was like written kind of as like, I mean, Gene Simmons' parents aren't like stopping him from driving out yeah, at night. This, with this is based on uh, this is based on a demo that Kiss did prior to kiss existing okay so that it's older that kind of makes sense um yeah it's a little bit older uh thematically though this is like lyrically pretty in line with some some of the more brain dead pop punk songs of the late 90s yeah well i mean there's always been songs like that you know yeah, I think this the way this is like worded in particular though is uh like if you change the instrumentation around on this, you would just have like a pop punk or a ska song, you know? Yeah, which I should <laughs> I should try that. Yeah, you could do that. You probably do that. It does too. have like the Green Day like like I can imagine. Yeah, it's got that it's got that kind of weird pseudo ironic vapidness to it, but like, also I was, I was listening like, to I was, I was playing drums earlier, and I was playing Longview, which is one of my favorite Green Day songs, just because of the bass line and the drum drum line and all that. But, like, <laughs> those lyrics are stupid. It's just a song about, like, jerking off and how mad you are <laughs> that, like, all you, all you want to do is jerk off and not do anything. <laughs> but, but, the... but even then, I think Longview probably has better lyricism than this, like, my mom tells me to get a job, but she hates the one she's got. Like, that's a much smarter line than anything in this song, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, there's one line on here that I think is funny, which is, uh, my uniform is leather. Yeah, and my power <laughs> is my age. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, uh, there's another track. There's one after this we'll talk about in a minute, but... Uh... There's thematically some stuff going on here with the Gene Simmons songs. <laughs> yeah, I I do like the higher, 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 like in the chorus. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's cool. Um, the sort of 
filter on the guitar solo is cool. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, like an actual the... having an actual producer. Yeah, you lean in, and then it goes into sort of this kind of soft orchestral stuff for the outro, uh, which is also cool. Yeah. Um, so almost all of these have writing credits for Bob Ezrin, and I wonder is that because he arranged all the orchestra stuff? He, he was he was probably doing a lot of the musical arrangement stuff for this. Yeah, because that's what, that's cause... the same thing with the Beatles. Like their producer guy that did all the orchestra stuff got a yeah. lot of writing credits. Because lyrically, these are still Kiss songs. There's not really anything different too much in that regard so i don't i don't think he had a lot like he probably had some input on the lyrics because he was producing the songs yeah but... well apparently he so the riff was from a song that they did earlier the lyrics were f- for a different song and bob Ezrin kind of combined it all together yeah um yeah it's amazing what a good producer can do with oh yeah whatever scrap material you have lying well it's like, like it's... you look at um it's the same way with, uh, what's the band from the 90s? Smashing Pumpkins had the same thing. Their first album was really weird all over the place. Didn't really have a coherent sound. And then they got the same producer who did uh, Loveless by My Bloody Valentine and that slow dive album that everyone loves that I hate and like all of this shoegaze stuff to do Siamese Dream. And it was like the best album that they had, you know, and it's... A, a great producer can carry a, what would otherwise be like kind of a shitty band. <laughs> yeah. Which is what I think Smashing Pumpkins is outside of the stuff they've done with that producer. Like those two albums, Siamese Dream and Melancholy that they did in the 90s I, I that think, had all their... I, I think the biggest the biggest like example of this probably is like Pharrell Williams where there's like so many artists that wouldn't have careers if he didn't come in to arrange their shit because they can't figure shit out musically at all. Yeah. <laughs> Shoutouts to Pharrell Williams for being an amazing producer who can figure that out and was so good at it that he just decided to start his own music career. <laughs> Anything else you want to say about Flaming Youth? Uh, not really. I think I've covered all my points here. Um, I think I would enjoy it more as like a shitty pop punk song, though. Yeah, I think you to, could totally to make it work that way. I think I think I think I like having that vapid like bullshit that way instead of like however they play it here on kiss like yeah totally <laughs> there's something that's just it it fits the music fits the mood better when it's like just like a, a yeah, shitty even, like three chord even something like twisted sister i think would do a better job with these lyrics yeah yeah um and twisted sister so next up Next up is Sweet Pain, which is a, a very Gene Simmons song. Yeah, it's we're back to the mind break. Yeah, it's about leather and whips and, and pain and um Gene uh, Simmons the, looks like an Ultraman villain, like a, a monster of the week. With like the yeah, you just have to put like a rubber mask on him and you'd be good, huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like Bro, his, his, on this cover art uh, for Destroyer, his shoes have, like, monster faces and, yeah. like, teeth that are cleats. <laughs> yeah. And Paul Stanley and Peter Chris, and actually all of them have, like, huge platform shoes, but Paul Stanley's seem to be, like, the most pronounced. Yeah. Um, Paul Stanley Manlet confirmed? Paul Stanley Manlet, yeah. I mean... <laughs> 
I think he is. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I guess it's kind of interesting to see a song from this era that's about BDSM and not in like a weird, goofy way, but just kind of played seriously. Yeah, but it's also like... Like, I don't think Gene Simmons understands, like... Like, BDSM to Gene Simmons is just him, like, controlling everything in the situation, you know? Like, <laughs> it's... <laughs> I wonder how much of it is that is just endemic to Gene Simmons being, like, a shitty controlling person. <laughs> Instead of, like, actually having an interest in... <laughs> <laughs> Well, he's the demon. He's not. He's supposed to be like aloof and not not care as much, right? Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I mean, n- not unlike the the songs about sex work. Um, this one is surprisingly uh, sincere about its subject matter. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's Gene Simmons. He just kind of puts it all out there in all the tracks yeah. he writes. He just kind of word vomits and it's probably the least <laughs> word vomity of a gene simmons track that we've heard so far compared to like yeah watching you yeah. <laughs> we're, we're progressing right so it starts with like the the fucking he's like do, axe he, murderer stare well he's yeah he's doing his like sigma male you know yeah. <laughs> his his alpha his uh his ligma male mindset is, grind set. is christian gray a sigma male yeah he, and he he's just staring her down to assert his dominance. Yeah, yeah. I, I love the bit that we had about just Gene Simmons t posing <laughs> is in a, the middle of a club, <laughs> just blank eyed. Now he, he's now he's like t posing, and the whip is just like moving on its own. You know, <laughs> just the animation didn't hand. load in. Like, yeah, the, the animation is just broken. Going. It's not playing. Yeah. Like when, uh, like, uh, in Resident Evil Four, when the like the jet ski takes off and Leon's still like sitting there, but the jet ski goes. <laughs> Have you seen that, Jeff? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, I have weird broken animations on the mind right now because I've been playing the the Halo Infinite flight. In, oh, is it in, is it crusty? Insider technical preview. There's a few things that are kind of busted. Yeah. Um. But I mean, it's it's like a it's from two months ago, so it's the build rather is from two months ago. So you know, this is a build that's like seven months pre-launch, so it's not very well optimized. And but it works and it's fun. It's really fun, actually. Uh, I'll talk about that more after the album. Yeah, let's. Yeah. Do you have anything else no. to say about Sweet Pain? Uh, a couple things. One, uh, the guitar line on this track is amazing. Yeah, and it's not Ace. It's not Ace. It's it doesn't say who it is. It's Dick Wagner. Huh. He's a studio guy that the producer brought in. Interesting. Um, according to Wikipedia, um, he brought him in because Ace Freely was too busy playing cards. And there's also this big. That's really <laughs> funny. There's this big vocal change up on the outro, and I'm not sure if it's still Gene Simmons or if it's like some kind of studio vocalist. Sweet pain. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah. Let's see what is there a. 
Does Wikipedia have a page on it? Because there's Wikipedia pages on a lot of these tracks. No, Sweet Pain doesn't yeah. have a track because it's. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I think it's like the least played track on this album, according to Spotify. That doesn't surprise me. All right, you want to talk about Shout It Out Loud? Yeah, let's talk about Shout It Out Loud. This is a cool party anthem song. Yeah, um, it's what it is. It's not as good as Rock and Roll All Night. Or Detroit Rock City, even. Like, Detroit yeah. Rock City is... Uh, there's, like, one line on here that I think is funny, which is, they're too old to really understand, uh, which is about, like, a noise complaint regarding partying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Nine Inch Nails sampled this, by the way. Really? Yeah, Trent Reznor sampled it in Starfuckers, Inc. Okay, I will have to... Yeah. Presidents of the United States covered it. Those are the guys Motorhead, that uh, Lemmy by himself. Glee. Um, yeah. Glee's covered like a lot of Kiss songs, actually. Um, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Um, I want to hear the motor. I'm going to go listen to the Motorhead after this because I like Motorhead. Yeah. Uh, there's a cover I think you'll want to listen to more than the Motorhead cover of this. Uh, oh, there's, a, to a, there's a couple, yeah. <laughs> uh, right. Anything else you really want to say about Shout It Out Loud? It's got kind of a cool intro, I guess. Um, no, it's... The outro's uh, long. It's a shorter song, um, and I appreciate that. But they always... They always go out on the chorus and Hate out on the chorus. Yeah, yeah. It, every single track on this album. I, that's my least favorite part is that the chorus is unbearable by the time it fades out. Like either fade it out shorter or do something else. So, moving on uh, to Beth. Uh, this is yet another Peter Chris song about missing his girlfriend while he's touring. This yeah, is the second one of these we've seen now. Um, this one seems a lot more emotional than the last one. This is this is the first one he's written, though. Yeah. Because the, the last one that was about missing his girlfriend was actually written by Ace Freely, but just sung by Peter yeah. Chris. Yeah. So this was a um, song that Peter Chris had wrote um, for a band called Chelsea, which is what he played with before Kiss. Um, huh. So... It was originally written as a joke because his one of his bandmates' girlfriends would always call and like yell at him for being at practice too long, which doesn't really yeah. come across in this version of the song. But apparently, the original version that they played with the band was a lot more like cheesy and like making fun of her <laughs> instead of like a, yeah, this a ballad. Is, this is like a lot more moody and kind of um, it's it's sort of like a sad kind of moody ballad. It's the um, first, like, non... Like, we've had rock ballads before, like, Going Blind or whatever, that, that hit that sort of, like, metal ballad vibe. But this yeah, is this the is, first, this like... this is almost more of, like, a blues-slash-pop, maybe even a little bit R&B kind of ballad. Yeah, and this is the first one that we've really seen like this on anything from Kiss, so... Yeah, this is a very... This is a standout. Um, I think this is a contender for the best track on this entire album. I really like it. I agree. I find it very cheesy. I think <laughs> it's it's a little corny, yeah. Um, when it, when he's like, "Me and the boys are playing," like, <laughs> but but I can I can totally understand why this was like the sleeper hit because uh, this was on so Detroit Rock City released as a single and this was the B side. Beth, right? Um, Beth and then, turned out to be the most popular of their singles. 
So they re-released oh, it with I'm Detroit scared. Rock City as the B-side. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's interesting. Um, this is by far the most popular song on the album, by the way. It's more popular than Detroit Rock City, according to Spotify. I had never heard it. I'd never heard of it before. Yeah. This was the first time hearing it. Um, so it surprises me that it's so popular, I guess. But, I mean, what do I know? This was sampled in, like, some Polish rave music, apparently. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that does look very Polish. in Yeah, I can't read that. Yeah, me neither. I'm not Polish. Um... Glee did this one too. Uh, I don't recognize you know, any of these bands that covered it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Peter Chris, this was the first one that he he wrote, um, and he originally like gave uh, showed the other band members like a really like fast rocking version of it to convince them because none of them wanted like a slow ballad like this. Yeah, but one like so he just played them like a fast version of it, and they're like, "Yeah, that sounds fine, whatever." And uh, <laughs> but the producer really liked it. Um, but later on in their biographies and in interviews, both Simmons and Paul Stanley uh, claim that Peter Chris didn't write it at all. That it was, <laughs> I don't know if it's just like bitter, like post band member stuff, but uh, the quote from. Gene Simmons is that uh, I have never seen Chris compose a single song. He might have contributed a line or two to Beth, but after listening to the original demo, it's clear that the other bandmates made the original song. (laughs) And then Paul Stanley in an interview for Rolling Stone in 2014 uh, said that Chris had nothing to do with the composition of Beth, adding that if you write one hit, you should be able to write two. Yeah. Oh, that's that. (laughs) (laughs) Chris responded that Stanley was just jealous because he he was the main vocalist of a group in which he did not write the greatest success. They hate the fact that I was the songwriter of a hit and won the People's Choice Awards. Yeah, yeah, I can see why they, you know, and it's funny because like they still perform together. Do they? Peter, well, for a while, so. I know for a while they, they had got, when they, Eric Carr when they, uh, as a drummer. They had a different drummer for a while, and when they got back to, I believe when they got back to doing the face paint again in the late 90s, they brought Peter Chris back. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, they actually did a version of this with the other drummer, Eric Carr, where they just kept all the tra- the other tracks, and he just re-recorded the vocals. Huh. Which is weird. <laughs> Yeah, it's super weird. Like it almost as like a screw you to Peter it Chris, feels like yeah. That's weird. Um All right, next track. Uh this is Do You Love Me? Uh this is effectively the last track on the album. Uh, we'll get into why in a minute. Uh this this song has been covered by Nirvana. Yeah. Um I hate this song. <laughs> This this song is it was my least favorite one on the album. Uh, I think it's the funniest because like is it Gene Simmons on vocals? Uh, I think it's Paul Stanley. I don't know. It doesn't say anything on the the genius. Yeah. But but that um 
the uh, you really like my limousine like is unbearable to me. Really? <laughs> like the That's way the that verse that, like turned you off of it? Oh yeah, it's like it's. Wow. I mean, it's goofy. I can laugh at it. I enjoy laughing at it, but it's like it's too I, I, obnoxious. See, I like, it's. I guess it is a little obnoxious. I like how it's. I like how that first verse is like percussion with vocals and that's it yeah um, i think it sounds really weird and not good <laughs> uh, i thought it was neat um coming off of the last track which is very kind of a little more musically indulgent and orchestral uh yeah i yeah. i think i just the and the hook like immediately just lost its interest to me just because it's it's do you love me over and over again uh yeah uh, I I like what the song is about. I kind of like how it's written lyrically. The the vocal delivery is a little weird. Um, Do you love me? Yeah. Do you love me? Like, there's uh, a line in here about like the fans recognizing Paul Stanley's girlfriend. Uh, yeah, it was written and, by and this, Gene Simmons. This song no, is it wasn't. like. Why did I no, say that? I read it. By... I was re- I was reading it wrong. <laughs> It was a track Bob Ezrin brought brought over and Paul Stanley edited. I guess seems to be what what, what the case is. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I I like what the song is about and like the way it's written. Um, um, the vocal delivery from Paul Stanley on this could be better. I think it's it's just really especially that first verse. You really like my limousine. It's like I almost. Like the... <laughs> I like the production on it for the bridge. There's like this kind of filtered vocal thing going on. Uh, there's a bunch of orchestral elements here that are coming in. This this song feels like it's supposed to be the grand finale for the album. It's really just Paul Stanley's vocals that kind of drag it down a little bit. I think this and Sweet Pain are probably like the weakest songs on the album. Yeah. I wouldn't say either of them are bad. Um but I do agree that they're not the best songs on the album. Um, so, do you want to talk about the Nirvana cover? Have you listened to it? I haven't yet. I'm meaning to do it. I'm they're, probably going to do it after it's the... Not, uh, it's not on an album. It's not on, like, a live show or anything. Well, it is. It's from, like, a live show from, like, 1987 or 88. You know, before their oh. first album, even. It's just, like, a basement show video that you can find on YouTube. That's wild that they did, and it's. I think if I rem- it was either this one or another video I was watching, and Kurt is just like facing the wall the entire time, like he's not facing the crowd. He's got his microphone. Like I don't know if he was shy then or what. What? But and it's it's just like all over the place. It's <laughs> it's messy. It's great. It's. I mean, it's intentionally. I think right. That's how they played a lot of those early shows. Was just like yeah doing the messiest dumbest shit they could you know <laughs> so uh rock and roll party uh this is like a collection of sound effects <laughs> yeah it's like that it's like that have you seen that uh tiktok or a tweet or something and it's like here's a hyper pop song that you should know and it's just like a boing sound effects yeah <laughs> it's like that apparently this is this is mashing together uh, the live version of Deuce with great expectations off of this album. Um, Deuce. Wow, I haven't thought about that one in a bit. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, 
there's really what do you say about this it's i mean it's, it's a secret like track a weird... it's an outro it's a weird like little number nine yeah. sort of like i mean that's you can compare it to the other stuff that was happening at the time that had all of this weird like i mean sounds and and, and tape dubbing you yeah, know that I, you I can think do they just they just wanted they to just do went... something like that yeah, exactly. Like, we have a producer, let's have him just make some weird shit and throw it on the end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's how it feels to me, too. Uh, there's a dude in the Genius comment section who's mad that it has a title because the original vinyl didn't have it listed. He's like, there shouldn't be a title here because the I original... Mean, if it- if it has a title on re-releases, then it's it's it has a title, bro. Yeah, like, <laughs> that's what it's know? titled on like all streaming services. But yeah, I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's written on like CDs or something too. Yeah, that too um, probably because that's what yeah. most streaming services go off of still. Um, yeah. So all in all, this album I think is better than the previous three. Oh overall. yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I think hotter than hell is still a little more charming. Yeah, it's charming, but it's also a lot more. It's like a lot more messy, you know. Um, yeah, we are in a different like era of Kiss, right? We're in a different stage. Yeah, so this is where it comes together. This is where they get a producer, and everything starts to get a little more consistent across the board. Everything becomes a lot um, more theatric, too. You know, yeah, a lot you've got of... the orchestral stuff and the big crazy production on this album. Um, I, I like this album a lot. <laughs> I do too. Um, like I said, I think, uh, King of the Nighttime World, God of Thunder, Detroit Rocks, that whole stretch there at the beginning is probably like, I do feel like this album peaks at the beginning there a bit. Um, that's probably the best stretch of songs there, I think. Yeah. Uh, Beth is I mean, good. I liked, I liked Flaming Youth. Beth is good. Shout it out loud is good enough. It's a uh, yeah. They had to do a party rock song that wasn't like weird, like Detroit Rock City is, or you know. So yeah. they did shout it out loud. Uh, I think "Do You Love Me" is all right. Um, yeah, I um, I don't like "Do You Love Me." <laughs> uh, I I really don't. I I I hate that song. That's that's my least favorite song like so far. Like out of all. The albums we've done, I think. Really? Wow. Because even the worst, the worst ones off other albums were like bad because they were like boring. Yeah. But but yeah, I don't think there's anything on this album that like put me to sleep the way that some some of the Gene Simmons songs on the previous albums did. Yeah, but like none of them like gave me like a a straight up negative reaction like the first time I heard "Do You Love Me." Fair enough, I guess. Uh, I don't think the problem on that song is as pronounced as, as you seem to think it is, but maybe it's not. Okay. I haven't really listened to it in a while. I won't, I'm, I'm I didn't really do any notes this week because I listened to I, I it. Think, while I think I think it's driving. specifically supposed to get your attention after the end of Beth. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it would make sense to even be like a hidden track. Yeah. And just make it a minute longer for Rock and Roll Party. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so any any other high-level overview stuff you want to talk about with this album now that we're at the end of it? 
Uh, Wikipedia has like a little bullet point list of what Rolling Stone said when it first came out. Uh, they said it had the uh, bloated ballots, pedestrian drumming, and lackluster performances. <laughs> they like ripped into it. Apparently, that's uh, that's quite the indictment, considering that. The- most of the performances on this album are like considerably better than the previous ones. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, and they, and um, they know how to tune their instruments now. Yeah. And even like the drumming is better than the previous albums for the most part. Significantly. I would say as a drummer, I guess Rolling Stone just doesn't know what the fuck they're talking about. Yeah. Um, Was Rolling Stones in the seventies, like the pitchfork of today. I don't know. Maybe. This is also um, the uh, the first album where they recorded at a different studio than Electric Lady, where all the other albums were recorded. Oh, that's interesting. So um, that might, I don't know if that makes a huge difference, but it was at a different place. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that might have something to do with the production, right? Like... Yeah. I mean, if you're bringing in a symphony. Yeah. But um, yeah, this is interesting. So, uh, just a second here. You good? Yep. Yeah, I'm just looking something up real quick. So next up is Rock and Roll Over. Yes. Which and is the same year. Yeah, 1976. Also 10 tracks. Recorded at Star Theater in New York, apparently. Huh. According to... Um, yeah. To get... And this, this, is, this is also about 33 minutes. So I think, I think Destroy was 34 minutes. Yeah, this looks like not as good of an album. Does yeah. not have the same producer. Um, according to Wikipedia, Peter Chris recorded all of his tracks in a bathroom. Oh, this is going to be fun. Um, yeah, this this one is going to be fun, I think. I don't know why it's recorded at a theater. It's not a live album. They just... I don't they know. just recorded it at a theater, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll have to look at the what YouTube or not what not YouTube, damn it. What Wikipedia, uh, <laughs> like the source for Peter Chris recording in a bathroom. I'll have to read that article <laughs> before next week. Yeah. Um. It also is the first Kiss album to not feature a writing credit from Ace Freely. So. Huh. That's interesting. No. No. No good Ace songs. No, no Ace track. Which, Not like, happening. Destroyer didn't have as much Ace. Like, there was a couple where he contributed to writing, but he didn't have, like, a track like he did on the first three albums. Yeah. Where, like, it was his track and it was better than all the other ones. <laughs> I wonder if they were jealous. Um, I'm pretty sure they all thought that their tracks were the best. Yeah. Uh, Except for Ace Freely, who was too nervous to sing his own songs. Yeah. So, <laughs> off-topic hour begins now. Um, yeah. Um, 
Kiss is cool. Let, you want to talk about? I'll Kiss let you talk more? about the thing you wanted to talk about first because it is interesting. Um, um, yeah. So we talked about comic books last week a lot. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm sorry to all the viewers we lost when we started talking about classic literature and what. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, guys. Uh, <laughs> but. Uh, I have been reading the original Yu-Gi-Oh! manga. Um, I've been meaning to get around to it for a while, just because yeah. I've you've told me a lot that it's good. <laughs> it is good, yeah, and I like I've, it a lot. I've came to the end of the, the first arc before they really start getting heavy into the card stuff. Yeah, because I think, I think you're getting into the lead-up to Duelist Kingdom now. It is Duelist Kingdom. I'm, or yeah. at least... Well, it's because in America the Yu-Gi-Oh manga was split into like Yu-Gi-Oh, Yu-Gi-Oh Duelist, and Yu-Gi-Oh Shadow Kingdom or something like that. That's like the Millennium last World. Millennium World. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So I'm starting Duelist. I finished the the first um, arc. Uh, Yugi just straight up kills people all the time. Yeah. No. He, he just. He, yeah. He's immolated multiple people. Um, yeah. Even the. Um... Even the original Toei anime softened that by having him just like conjure illusions. Uh, yeah, they they kind of start the... doing that later on in the, in the arc yeah. or in that arc where they're like, no, it's just an illusion, or they're fun. Like it's we- there's a weird shift where it's like, oh no, Yugi didn't hurt these people. He's a good guy. <laughs> and it's like I in chapter three, in chapter three, he he. Let a man burn to death in the middle of a diner. <laughs> but it, it's the weird thing of like, well, Yugi didn't do. It's like, um, it's like in Yakuza when you like shoot down a helicopter, and it's like, well, well, Kiryu didn't do it. It was the the helicopter that killed those people when it crashed. <laughs> you know, it's like Yugi didn't kill him. He just let him pour over all the alcohol on the table and then tricked him into dropping his cigarette, which lit him on fire. <laughs> Yeah, that that like eighty percent Russian vodka or whatever it was yeah. supposed to be. Yeah, it's it's like a a dude breaks out of jail and just holds up like a burger store that they're all at. Yeah, like, it's weird because it's like a fast food restaurant, and he's like, "Serve me alcohol." It's yeah, it's it's like um, <laughs> it's like fucking what's the the Tarantino movie where it opens in a restaurant and like. A dude robs the the diner, and they're like, "You don't see a you don't see people robbing diners that much, do you?" You know, and it's it, like, I think that's Pulp Fiction. That's Pulp Fiction. Yeah, that's like the yeah. that's like the only scene I like in Pulp Fiction. I'll go and watch that intro scene, and then after that, that movie is a snooze fest to me. I really? Wow. Oh yeah, I I've fallen asleep. I don't think I've ever seen that movie all the way through because I've fallen asleep every time. <laughs> yeah, I I like like. like uh confusing and kind of slow burn sort of movies so like my that's that's my cup of yeah tea but 100%. i like um i like reservoir dogs i like other tarantino movies that are confusing and slow burns i don't like do you like do you like the hateful eight yes hateful eight's one of my I favorites love the hateful eight. yeah it's great yeah. and people shit on it a lot and say it's bad but i love it yeah, um, people shit on it and say it's bad because they get like halfway into the first arc of the movie and then stop yeah which maybe that's the problem with like uh, I keep wanting to say Clockwork Orange, but that's the Droogs. Um, but that's my problem with with Pulp Fiction is like maybe I haven't seen it all the way through, 
you know, enough. I've I think I've seen it all the way through once. But like I get yeah. to the point where they're like the dude's overdosing or whatever and they're all freaking out about that and I just lose interest. Like yeah. you get you get to this I mean you see Samuel L. Jackson, he does he talks about the burger with John Travolta, the the English do you speak it? All of that is cool. And then after that, yeah. I just do not get like them dancing in the restaurant. All of that is just so boring to me. I mean, you know, you do you. Uh, on the topic of Yu-Gi-Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> after, you, after you finish Duelist, you will be at, I believe, the end of Battle City. There is yeah. a spin-off manga R, that takes right? place. Yes, R. Okay. takes place after Battle City and be- before Millennium World. It's pretty good. Yeah, is it written uh, by, I like, would... one of the editors or something? Or one it's of the assistants? By... Yeah, it's written by one of the assistants, and that assistant went on to create Cardfight Vanguard. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll definitely have to check that out. Um, it's really weird because like even the like adaptation, the anime adaptation, and how I remember it um, in the West, or even how I remember like when I watched a couple episodes. Like he he gets to the part where he where his like granddad is trapped and he has to fight Kaiba, right? Yeah. In the anime, and I think even in the um, the like Japanese version of the anime, like Kaiba traps his grandpa in a card, right? Yeah. In the manga, Kaiba just sends his grandpa to the hospital. <laughs> he just he 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 challenges him to a card duel, and then he throws VR holograms of demons in an old man's face until he has a heart attack and has to go to the hospital. <laughs> And I guess when they adapted it, they were like, this is, we should do this. We should just have him, like, be trapped in a card for some reason. Which, I think that's a dumber, <laughs> I, I like, I like Kaiba just, like, sending him, sending his granddad to the hospital with VR demons. Kaiba, Kaiba in the manga is, like, stone cold. Yeah. He's... Yeah, he's. Oh, <laughs> uh, and then you do, like, there's the battle chess, which is, like. Monster chess could have taken off instead of cards. That's what he plays with with yeah. Kaiba's brother, right? Yeah. Um. There's also uh, so the Yu-Gi-Oh anniversary movie, Dark Side of Dimensions, mm-hmm. uh, which was like for the 20th anniversary in like 2016, I think. Yeah. Uh, it is a sequel to the manga, not the anime. Okay. So when you finish Millennium World, we'll watch that movie. All right. Um, I also that movie has that movie has a really great Kaiba moment in it. I like Kaiba a lot. Yeah, Kaiba's that, cool. I, I imagine I'll be seeing a lot more of him. There's no yeah, way he's, he's like this character. this popular of a character, and he only appears for this like one arc. No, yeah, no, he's around for most of. He's he's the main reason Battle City happens. I won't get too into it, but I remember a lot of this uh, from when I was a kid. But obviously, I remember a very different version. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's weird going back of like the little things that I remember, and then even then, there's something. So like in the anime, when they're fighting, they're like over a big like pit, right? That where the monsters are, but. In the in the manga, they're in like a little cube, and the monsters are like small, but they're like behind their back, like a stand. 
Yeah, yeah, they're like playing on a table. Yeah, yeah, like I don't know why that's they don't have like the arm things either. Yeah, that doesn't come till later though. That's Battle City. Yeah, that's Battle City. Okay, but like I think I think you see Kaiba's prototype of the dual disc in uh, Duelist Kingdom at some point, but it doesn't okay. become a real thing until like Battle City. All right, um, this has really been scratching my itch of like. Like, I almost went back and reread Pokemon Adventures, like the Pokemon manga. Like, I just wanted something from the late 90s that there's, was like. There's a lot of Pokemon Adventures to read. I'm oh, yeah. Sure I meant like. Going. I meant like the original. Because, like, the new ones don't have the same vibe as the ones from the late 90s, you know? Yeah, where the Pokemon were just murdering each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, like, decapitating. Yeah, when they introduced the Elite Four, uh, when Yellow gets introduced after the main arc with Red. Uh, they show Bruno and he like punches an onyx and its head comes off. <laughs> yeah, but I I do want to go and reread the like red and blue era Pokemon adventures because that shit is wild. Yeah, like Lieutenant Surge, they they make all the gym leaders villains for some reason because like I don't yeah, know. Yeah, want... the gym leaders are uh, part of Team Rocket. Yeah, either that or they're just like assholes. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, like Brock there's... is probably the only nice <laughs> gym leader in in that manga. Yeah, there's there's like a big Pokemon championship because they they don't do the Elite Four until the arc after. But um, there's like a big Pokemon championship, and uh, Professor Oak like traumatizes a little girl <laughs> <laughs> because so in 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 Japanese, red is red. And Gary, who is blue in the translation, is green. Right. And then the girl is blue, who is green in the translation. But anyway. Yeah, that's... So we're going to refer to her as blue. So blue is like has like a phobia of birds. So Professor Oak just throws out like a Spearow and she just starts freaking the fuck out. <laughs> I yeah, remember it's, that. It's I kind of funny, that. actually. Yeah. Uh, but, like, I kind of wanted to go either do that or replay one of those old Pokemon games, and I'm glad I didn't do that, because that would have been boring. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, replay If you're going to replay one of, like, the Gen 1 or 2 games, just replay Crystal. Yeah, that's what I was going to do, because Johto is my favorite region. But, like, Yu-Gi-Oh! Reading the Yu-Gi-Oh! manga is really just... I think it's scratching the itch more than Pokemon would have. Just, like, dumb, like... And it's not like generic shonen anime stuff either. I was thinking about this like it's pretty unique for a for especially at the time, you know. Yeah. Uh and, I really like the the setting of like Kanto and Johto and where they're situated next to each other because one is like very clearly supposed to be the Tokyo region and the other is supposed to be like Kyoto. Yeah. But they're um, they're also just like standalone continents. Yeah. No, they're like right next to each other on the same landmass. Are they? Yeah. Uh, it's been a while then. There's like a mountain range in between them. Okay, that makes sense. Yep. It yeah, it's been a. I thought you had to take a boat. No, you uh, you go through Tojo Falls, which is a mountain. That's right. Yeah, I remember that now. Uh, an underground waterfall mountain thing, and it's yeah. been a long time since I played like Hard Gold Soul Silver or any of those yeah. like that. And there's also like a like a like a bullet train that goes from Goldenrod to uh, Saffron. 
there's a there's a really good video on YouTube from a, a channel called Eight Bit Music Theory that goes that talks about how um, the in, the in gold and silver how all the canto music was rearranged. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I love those. I love I love the aesthetic and the vibes of those old like Pokemon games. But I just I don't think I could play another yeah, I, one. I, I really I really dig the whole aesthetic presentation of those games up to like Gen 3. Gen 4 I think it kind of drops off a little bit. I agree. Um, yeah. Although I really like Gen 4. I have, I've been meaning to replay them or yeah. get the remake. Well, just play out. Platinum because Diamond and Pearl are slow as fuck. Yeah. Uh, that was actually, you're going to feel old, that was my first generation. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I started with Gen 3 but I'm like five, five years older than you. So. Yeah. Um, but I remember getting... I got Pokemon Diamond when I was, like, young. I, like, didn't know how to read. Wow. <laughs> and I I had to, like, put the game away for a while. And I came back to it, like, a couple years later. I was uh, I was super excited for Pokemon Diamond because I got it with a DS Lite. Because um, I think... I don't think it came out super early. I think it came out a couple years after the original DS. And the Lite was coming out around the same time. Heart Gold was the first one that I ever beat, and I was in like fourth grade. <laughs> yeah, I got Soul Silver. I think I was probably Gen Five. I was in high school for like the end of Gen Five to through the start of Gen Six and into Gen Seven a little bit, I think. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, I would have been in. I guess the equivalent of junior high, uh, which we don't have around here, but whatever. Yeah. Um, when when Dark Gold and Soul Silver came out, and those games are amazing. Those games are really uh, good. There's thing. I mean, there are things in that game that just have not been done again in the rest of the series. Yeah. No, like, yeah, Dark Gold and Soul Silver are just fucking phenomenal. Um, even and, the other remakes, like Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire, don't even come close. And even yeah. Fire Red and Leaf Green, like Fire Red and Leaf Green, are very much like very close remakes to Red. And, like it's just upgraded to the new engine, to new quality yeah, life I stuff. Don't think, but I don't like Heart Gold, Soul Silver, physical... straight up added new story, new stuff like that. You know yeah. that that I, I Red and Leaf the, Green uh, didn't really. The physical special split had even happened in Gen Three yet. So like Fire Red and Leaf Green are basically using the same rule set as Gen One. Yeah, except just yeah. without Psychic being busted, without. Um, no, yeah. I think physical special. It feels like Gen three. Was that Gen four that they did the physical special? I think special it was Gen four. Let me check. Let me wow. Let me look it up. I didn't... Gen um, one is like if you get into the the like how all of that works. Gen one is like stupid and unbalanced and busted. Okay, in games prior to Generation four, the type of a damaging move determines whether the move is physical. Damage calculation is performed using attack on the target's defense or special, special attack, and special defense. It was first assigned to individual moves in Gale of Darkness for shadow moves and applied to all moves starting in Gen 4. Okay. So the move type is what determined whether it was physical or special. Um, so Psychic was a special type and Ground was a physical type and Fighting right. was a physical but they type. Didn't have a, a type. they didn't have a special attack and special defense before then. Or in the, until Gen Four, right? Um, it was just like attack, special attack, defense. Uh, 
special attack and special defense were introduced in Gen two. Okay. Yep. But the uh, the moves didn't have dedicated physical or special characteristics until Gen four. Before that, it was de- it depended on the type. The type. Okay, I see. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. So like a dragon move was always special, regardless of what dragon move it was. A bug move was always physical, regardless of what bug move it was. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, were we talking about Yu-Gi-Oh? Um, yeah. <laughs> it just I it it's really scratched the itch of like dumb late '90s media that like I can't wait to get to um what is it GX. Is that the next series after the original Yu-Gi-Oh? Yeah, so what the, what you're going to have to do is you're going to finish the manga. You're going to get to the end of Millennium World. We're going to watch Dark Side of Dimensions. And then you're going to have to you're going to have to transition over to the GX anime. No, I'm just I'm going to read the manga and just whatever weird. <laughs> I, this is what I'm going to do, man. I did this with Kamen Rider. I'm going to do it with Yu-Gi-Oh. I'm going to do it with other stuff. You just read the weird mangas and that's then that makes oh, you're me special. Be so you're gonna be so confused, um, but sure. You know, <laughs> that was my plan it. was just to to read the manga and just, d- just deal with the confusion. Um, yeah, because I just I get through manga so much faster than like I would be on like if I was watching. Well, the animes for Yu Gi Oh is kind of weird still, but like I would not have be as far along into the story as I am now if I was watching the anime. Yeah, yeah but like the problem. The problem with the with the Yu-Gi-Oh mangas after the original is, is they don't they adapt come it after the anime. Yeah, yeah. Um, man, I was thinking about that Common Rider manga that I read a while back. Um, yeah. Because it's it's the manga that went released along, and we talked about this a lot back then. But it released alongside the original TV show in Japan, and it's basically what the creator wanted to do with the TV show, but like couldn't or wasn't able to with the budget, or wasn't allowed to. like, And it's yeah. just all over the place. There's like, he gets cloned, and he has to fight like 12 version, evil versions of himself. And then he like, there's a scene where he like, escapes a exploding sea base by like, jumping in a whale, and then he has to like, punch his way out of the whale. It's just like, the dumbest, like, insane. I love it. And it's like, 30 chapters like you could read it pretty quickly yeah um it's less than the reason less I chapters s- in the first arc of Yu-Gi-Oh. another reason i say you should watch the gx anime is because the gx anime is actually really good probably the best cohesively from start to finish of all the Yu-Gi-Oh anime it is it's the one gx and what was it five d's after that yeah is that the one with the motorcycles that's the one with the motorcycles. Yeah, those are the ones I remember the most from when I was a kid, like when I was yeah. little. So that's what I'm. I'm kind of excited for those because I feel like they'll probably spark a lot of memories. Like I don't remember. I don't remember what any of those are about or any like important plot details. But I imagine once I start watching them. So GX is like four seasons, and Five <laughs> Ds is two. But the seasons of five Ds are like seventy episodes each, or something like that. That's yeah. That's it's basically I, like four seasons, but it's two seasons. That's that's why I wanted to read the manga. <laughs> yeah, well, with GX you should watch it 
uh, legitimately because it is a good sequel uh, yeah. that goes in interesting directions. And you know. Well, because I'm still trying to watch... There's still some Gundam stuff that I want to watch too. So like Yu-Gi-Oh! has been my manga thing. Yeah, It's filled that slot, and Gundam has been filling my anime slot. So, uh, If you read the GX manga, read the four comas that the writer did about uh, developing the, the GX manga, because there is some interesting stuff in there. I might. I'll, I'll, I'll decide what I'm going to do when I get done with Duelist and uh, Millennium World, because that's... Yeah. I've still got, like... 160 chapters of regular Yu-Gi-Oh to go. Yeah, plus R, which is uh, I think like another 30 chapters. It's like a couple volumes, isn't it? It's like five volumes, I think. Yeah. Um. So that'll probably. I mean, maybe by the time I get I get to GX, I'll be pretty caught up because I watched Char's Counterattack, where I again when I wasn't sleepy. And didn't pass out. Um, very good. I really I like Shark's Counterattack. I'm not going to spoil it, but uh, the ending was a little cheesy, but it's fine. Like it's it's a good it's good because it's cheesy. I yeah, think. well, that's it's, how it's that ending. It's just like every Gundam thing ends with like, oh no, I failed, and now new type magic will save me. Yeah, but I think in Shars Counterattack it makes sense. It does as like a, as a bit of a cap for for a era of the Universal Century in that part of the series, you know. Yeah. Um, which I expected it to be more of a cap than it was. Yeah, I, think I mean I it keeps right. going on, right? Yeah, it just I mean it's forever wars and. <laughs> yeah. You know, Anaheim's got to make well, money. Well, I mean, because like the next. The next thing that happens in the UC, as far as real-world chronological release, um, other than OVAs like like War in the Pocket and Stardust Memory, is uh, F ninety one. Oh yeah, which is like like way down fifty the line. years after you know. Yeah, because Unicorn Charles doesn't Unicorn doesn't come until later. Like, yeah, Unicorn doesn't happen until like 2010. But it's like the next. <laughs> it's like right after Char's counterattack in in universe, right? It's a couple years. It's like three years after, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, that's counterattack is. That's what I'm going to watch next. Unicorn is 0096. and okay. is I think 0097 along with Twilight Axis, which you don't have to watch. Uh, I still need Twilight to watch Axis Thunderbolt. Doesn't, doesn't matter. Thunderbolt's cool. It's not canon. But it's cool. Same it's with not... the origin. Now, now that you're done CCA, you can go watch Gundam: The Origin if you want. It's also not canon, but it's should, cool. Should I read the manga? I wouldn't mean to read the manga for the origin. Yeah, you can do that too. It is... doesn't spoil anything past Char's Counterattack. Is a uh, Thunderbolt? It's not canon. Thunderbolt is not canon. I thought it was like as canon as like any of the other OVAs, though, because like. No, like, it's those, not. They, those kind of specifically... sit in a in a soft canon, don't they? Like HMS team and especially Stardust sit in a soft canon. Star- Stardust, Stardust, and uh, War in the Pocket are considered hard canon. HMS uh, team bends some UC history to make it work, but is considered mostly canonical. Uh, Thunderbolt very blatantly is not. Okay. But Stardust also bends some UC his. It's got like the Metal Gear problem, right? Where it's like, 
it's like, oh, you had this big ass thing in like way before, like, because Metal Gear has this problem where it jumps around in the timeline, and so you you play Metal Gear Solid Five, and there's this huge giant, there's the Silanthropus, right? That yeah. just makes the Rex look tiny, right? <laughs> in the Rex game, yeah, but like the like, the, the actual like versatility and destructive potential of like the dendrobium is not even close to the psycho gundam in officially yeah so it's fine it makes sense it's fine yeah but it's also just like there's this huge conflict and it's weird because like it came after this stuff but it's set before right so it's like there's this huge conflict and it's not like eighth ms team where it's like a lot more localized and and more central i mean it was like the fleet got wiped out Yeah, you know, but it, it sets up what the Titans are and how they started, and so I really like yeah. Stardust. Um, Stardust is good, yeah, like really, really good. It's dumb. It's it's over the top in in the best way, you know. Yeah, and it's beautiful to look at. I oh, it is. Yeah, awesome. uh, there's the so many there's so many great like panning over the Earth or like over a. a like a big landscape in Stardust that are just amazing looking. Yeah. Yeah. It had um, an OVA budget and it shows. So next up is unicorn though, right? In the watch order. Next up, next up is unicorn. That's correct. Okay. That's, and that's like what, like 12 episodes. Uh, unicorn is seven OVAs or a full, like 26 episode series. I think it got cut into. So I'll just watch um, whatever. Just watch the on. OVAs. Is that what's on, is that, is, is I believe that the OVAs what's on are Netflix? What's on, yeah. The OVAs okay. are what's on Netflix. That's what I was going to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, I'm ex- do I see, does Hathaway show up in, um, unicorn? Is he like, no, pe- okay. unicorn is about like basically a completely separate cast of characters. Okay. But you'll Hathaway. recognize a few. Will I will I see Hathaway again until his movie? I guess this is what I'm no. asking. Okay, no, you will not. All right. Um, did I did I, I send you so, did I send you Old Man Judo from the like Crossbone manga? Did we talk yeah, about that? That's cool. That's yeah, so cool. Great. He's like the only one who gets to come back like that. I mean, Amaro kind of like a double Zeta that's like slapped together out of garbage. Yeah, because it's like the legs have been blown off so many times and. <laughs> It, yeah. He just couldn't find double Zeta parts. Um, but he actually has the head. He still has the head, but it's actually hidden. Um, and there's I, someone posted a panel where the, the like the part that's covering the head pops off and reveals that it's the double Zeta. And it's like so dumb looking, but it's cool. I'm pretty sure there's a part in the Moon Gundam manga where half of the Moon Gundam's head gets blown off and they put like a mono eye on it sideways. <laughs> There's a part in Double Zeta where they put a. Um, it's like early on when it's still they put very. Like a goofy. Zaku head on a on a on a mass production Zeta or something. No, they put it. They put it on the Zeta. They're like repairing yeah. the head, and in the meanwhile, they they have a, a Zaku head on there, and it's it's on the, yeah, the, the uh, original Zeta. The the Zeta with the Zaku head is actually a like a fifteen hundred cost unit in um, Gundam versus. <laughs> Uh, I think Judo is probably my favorite protagonist by the end. Um, He's cool. Yeah. Out of out of the three, I, and C- Camille is I don't know. Camille's a pretty interesting character, especially yeah. by the end of. I Double like Judo's personality more, but I like Camille as a character more. Yeah, but like by the end of Double Zeta, you know, like Camille doesn't do a lot throughout most of it, but he's there at the end, and that's cool. 
Yeah. Um, so it's Unicorn, NT, and then Hathaway. Hathaway's Flash. Right. Unless then, you want to watch Twilight Axis, which you can, yeah. it's a side story thing. And so it then, matter. then it's F91. After that, yes, it's F91, then it's the Crossbow manga, and then Victory. And then the uh, the live action movie, G Savior. Yeah, and then G Savior. <laughs> we, we, should, we should watch G Savior. G Savior, I actually kind of like G Savior. It's a very kind of corny uh, live action early 2000s sci fi film, um, which is right up my alley. So. Oh, yeah, that's. Um, I was considering uh, getting into like another series or something, and then I realized I still got a bunch more Gundam to do, and I'm doing Yu-Gi-Oh! So I'm like, maybe I'll save yeah. getting back and into And then after, after G-Savior is uh, Gino Reconquista, um, technically Gaia Gear, although it's not really canon, and then uh, Turn A, but also Turn A relates to a bunch of other stuff, too. Right, I'll have to watch Wing and... You have to watch Wing and G and uh, X, yeah. Yeah, that's that's the stuff I've been avoiding with Gundam, <laughs> for yeah. whatever reason. Because um, there's just enough Universal Century stuff to... Yeah, you don't really have to bother with the rest. I like X. Um, I like G a lot. G, I mean, G Gundam is, is great. You can't... Yeah. G Gundam is... Um, I was thinking about getting back into Common Rider because they uploaded like the first two episodes of Gaim onto the official Toei YouTube channel. And I was going to check cool. it out. That's but... the Genarubuchi one, right? Yeah. Um, yep. But I didn't. I was like, I'm already like this deep into Gundam, this deep into, not as deep into Yu-Gi-Oh, but I'm going to probably be, you know. So I'm hoping by the time I finish reading the Yu-Gi-Oh manga, I'll be pretty much clear with the uc or at least enough to where i can take a break and then like i don't know yeah. i like doing deep dives like this i've been doing it with shin megami tensei i've been doing it with gundam for a while yeah you you finished nocturne right yeah i beat nocturne a couple weeks ago yeah so now you have to play four uh i was gonna play uh strange journey next oh you can do that too yeah that was my plan. I'm playing um, Resident Evil 7 right now because I wanted to take a break. You'll from... want to play... People will tell you not to play Strange Journey Redux because the secret ending stuff kind of sucks, but uh, it also has like a bunch of DLC inside content that you do want to play, so uh, play the 3DS version. Yeah, that's the version that I have um, that I was yeah. going to play. But I was I was very burnt out with SMT3 or not burnt out. I was, I mean, after playing it and getting the full true ending and everything there, um, yeah. I didn't want to just jump feet first into another RPG, you know? Yeah. Understandable. Um, so I, I played, I played Metroid zero mission and Metroid fusion. Uh, cause I'm very excited for dread. Uh, yeah. I'm also October. excited for dread. Um, I still need to play some version of two. I'm probably going to play, the AM2R sometime yeah. before Dread comes out. I should have played it after Zero Mission, but whatever. I wanted to play another Game Boy game. The Game Boy Advance was like... Like, that was... Nintendo fans were eaten back then. You know, you had... It's remake, my favorite Nintendo handheld, yeah. You had remakes of all sorts of games, like Zero Mission and that, the remake of Kirby's Adventure that was really good. Yeah. 
Return to Dreamland, uh-huh. I think it was. You had third party stuff like Battle Network and yeah. The Castlevania games on the GBA are pretty good. The the Final Fantasy ports are pretty all right, at least for the time they were. I mean, they got better on the PSP and now with the Pixel remakes. Yeah. I'm considering picking up 2 again because I was playing Final Fantasy 2 for a while and I kind of dropped off I've, of it. I've had a hankering to play FF1 again and the Pixel remake might scratch the itch because FF1 as much is... as I like as much as I like the way the original FF games look, um I'll take what I can get as long as it isn't like an ugly, weird, yeah. smushed up mobile port. Um, I I recently bought at a used bookstore the first volume of the uh, was it the Ultimania books, the art books. Oh, so like the FF one Ultimania. It's one through six, six oh. is what it covers. So it's three volumes total, and it, the first one is one through six. The second one is seven, eight, and nine, and the third one is, um. 10 through 14. Oh. So they they have like they have like production notes and and all sorts of stuff that it, that's translated and it's really cool. There's a lot of great cool. Amano art in there too. I recently um, got the um It's not an Ultimania. It's uh it's not quite an art book either. It's like an intro to the universe of FF7 remake book. It's sort of an art book um but not quite uh it's the closest thing to an art book that there was for ff7 remake until the ultimania um yeah i love little art books like that yeah um especially i spent forever just looking at like it's really weird they for final fantasy they did for three they did the remake and they got the they decided to add characters to it you know it wasn't just like your generic characters with jobs um and they gave each character their own different like outfit for each job too but they got um the ivalice artist to design them all oh cool which is which is cool but um it's really weird that they did that for three and like didn't get any other artists to redesign or do any like art stuff for the other ones like one or one and two with like a uh Like the Ivalice artist drawing them, or even Nomura, you know, would be cool. I think. Yeah, like especially I, I check out like a Nomura version of FF1. Well, I guess we're getting that. <laughs> yeah, that's what uh, Stranger of Paradise. Yeah, I would. I think two would would do very well with Nomura art. Uh, his designs for the Dissidia games for the for the characters from two is cool. That's true. Um... I think, and this is you know me talking about Final Fantasy VI like I always do. But I think Final Fantasy VI definitely hit that sort of middle point um, in design between, like, it wasn't quite till Final Fantasy VII where Nomura, like, took more of a visual design lead, you know? Yeah, because I think, I think Nomura designed one character and just, like, all of the monsters in VI, right? He did most of the monsters. Um, obviously, there's like a bunch of monsters that are a mainstay that were already designed by. But he did all the new monsters. Yeah. Um. But he he did he did Setzer, I think was his character, which is why he shows up in Kingdom Hearts. Yeah. But he also drew and did version like he does like Nomura designed took the Amano art and drew the, the like chibi versions that the sprites yeah. were based off of 
So it's like it's almost like Six's character designs are a mono art through the lens of Nomura, which is cool. Yeah, that's cool. Um, which and then you start to get the opposite after that, where Nomura like designs Cloud and everything, and then you get the mono art that just doesn't look like it just looks like a mono art, you know? Yeah. I want to see um, what's his name, the artist from SMT draw Final Fantasy characters. Oh, uh, Kazuma Kaneko. Kaneko, yeah, I want to see I want to see Kaneko's version of Cloud. Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, I think his version of Cloud wouldn't look that different from Nomura's, honestly. Um, really? I mean, it would just be yeah, more like... Look, I think it would look like the Advent Children kind of Cloud design, yeah. Yeah, it would be more sleek. Yeah. It would definitely look different in the face, though, because, like, Kaneko draws very yeah, distinct obviously. faces. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, he does. Um, and and Nomura, the there's, like, body, a Nomura face, too. I think the actual body and, like, clothing design would look... Uh, very similar to how he does in Dissidia, where he's kind of yeah. lanky and yeah. I love weird redesigns like that, like the uh, the Obata designs of Castlevania in like the. the oh, that's Death cool! Note guy. Yeah, I love them. Yeah. I, I know some people fucking hate them, but um, they like weird. I like those a lot. The weird like BDSM yeah. Gene Simmons uh, Simon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like those designs. I, I get why especially Western fans didn't like them, because, like, especially in, in, like, Western marketing material and art and stuff, Simon is, like, a big, huge muscle man, right? He's a, he's a big, uh, yeah, he's a, a Conan. He's a big, he's a big Conan-looking yeah, dude. He's yeah. yeah, he's, he's all blonde and Royden. <laughs> have you, so have you watched the Castlevania Netflix series? Uh, I watched like the first two episodes. I just never got around to watching the rest of it. I should because I like Warren Ellis, uh, in spite of Warren Ellis. Yeah, um, you should. Um, I think you should watch it before they do the new show. Um, because they've announced that they're doing a Richter series. Oh, interesting. So now they've they've moved on from Trevor. Like they've completed, unless time travel is involved. Richter is Symphony, right? Uh, Richter is Rondo and Symphony. He's at the beginning yeah. of Symphony. Yeah. Yeah. But it, they're probably going to be adapting, loosely adapting Rondo of Blood. Like they loosely adapted three for the first That's couple cool. of seasons. Um, they actually bring so, in later on in season two and three, uh, they they bring in um, the dude from, oh, what's that weird one? His Hector is his name, is the character's name from, uh, I can't remember the game he's from, but they kind of adapt that too. Um, oh, that's neat. Uh, I've been I've been playing the Halo Infinite Insider Flight Technical Preview Demo thing. Curse of Darkness <sighs> is the Castlevania I was thinking of. Sorry. Oh, okay. I, I'm not really sure what what I'm supposed to call it. Uh, they three four three says not to call it a beta, so I don't I don't really know what the fuck you're supposed they don't, to call it. It's a it's a sigma. Yeah, it's a sigma experience. Um, <laughs> sigma but anyway, uh, grind set. Aside from the fact that it's clearly like a a build that's seven months prior to launch and therefore not very well optimized, um, it's really fun and really good. I'm excited. Um, it's getting a PC release, right? 
Yeah, I've been playing it on PC. Well, yeah, I mean, I didn't, but it's is it going to be on Game Pass? Yeah, it's going to be. Well, the multiplayer is going to be free to play on all platforms. Right. You won't need Game Pass or Xbox Live Gold. You just play the game. But I'm, I'm I just want to know if I can play the campaign on for free on Game Pass, like I did the rest of the match. Yeah, the campaign, people. the campaign's going to be on Game Pass because that's that's most of what I. Like I went, through, I did a Halo retrospective, sort of not retrospective. I was I guess it was just a spective because I hadn't played any of them before. Uh, <laughs> But yeah. as they came out on PC on the Master Chief Collection, I played through all of them except for four. I dropped four. Um, you didn't finish four? No, I stopped caring. It wasn't fun oh, enough right. to finish. <laughs> it 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 just <laughs> I had I was not having a good time with it, and I wasn't even paying to the sto- attention to the story at that point. The campaign in four kind of plays like ass. The multiplayer plays a little less like ass, but it's still not as good as as the Bungie ones. Um, I also played, and we kind of talked about this off mic, but I also played the Dave and Buster's uh, light gun game. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Fire Team Raven. Yeah, it's yeah not great. Um, it's uh, it's interesting because it takes place like over the course of Halo One, but you're just like a. It's like you see, yeah, you, you get you to see, see like Master Chief like punch a. Punch a fucking elite in the face, and you go, "Wow, that's Master Chief!" Yeah, I recognize. He runs Master across Chief. at the Pillar of Autumn, and it's like, "Oh, it's like yeah. the first level." And yeah, um, but it's—I mean, it's a scummy light gun game that takes all your credits. You know, uh, yeah, <laughs> but it's—it's yeah, it's cool. Monsters game, yeah. It's cool that there was like effort put in to make it fit within the rest of, and it wasn't just like shoot the grunts as they come up with no like situation in the the timeline i think i think that's what stood out to me was that they put enough effort in to have master chief show up and be like oh there he is you know and have it going on at the same time as the opening of the first game yeah you know if it it sucks that it's like a dave and buster's game right yeah because i would i would play like a light gun release home console release light gun halo game i think that would be cool the res the resident evil one is cool um i played so there was a couple others i played i played the elevator action light gun game uh yeah, was that it was bad yeah it was real cheesy um have you have you had a chance to play that new cruising game from nintendo no but it was I think there it's getting a switch port soon uh, it was there. I I chose the Mario Kart arcade because I always wanted to play that. Um, oh, yeah. That sucks. Don't play it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there was a Luigi's Mansion one there. That was pretty cool because you had to like actually like pull the ghost like in the opposite direction as it was going. And it was yeah. a lot of it was just pulled from the 3DS one, but you you still had to like press a button to flash the ghost and then suck it in and pull it the the direction and. It was made by Capcom, actually, which was I thought was interesting. Yeah. Um, Capcom has done a few different licensed titles for Nintendo. They did like all the handheld Zelda games. They didn't do all time. of them, but they did. They did those uh, the Oracle ones. They did Minish Cap too, I think. Did they? Yeah, they did. They yeah, did Oracle so. and, and Minish Cap, but they didn't do Link's Awakening or um, the, the one later on 3DS ones that are way newer. Yeah. Yeah. Have you played that one? The the one that's uh. A Link, Link Between, Between Worlds. Worlds. 
I've seen, I've heard it's good. I never got around to playing it on it's the 3DS. Probably my favorite 2D Zelda game. Uh, yeah. Probably that's probably just because I played it a lot as a kid, uh, more than any other. But in Japan, it's actually just called A Link to the Past Two. Like <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, the I guess they decided that was too on the nose for the American market. But it's just straight up A Link to the Past Two. <laughs> yeah. Which means, I think that's, well, no, I guess Legend of Zelda 1 was the first one to get a direct sequel. And then then Link to the Past, yeah, and then and I mean, Breath of the like, Wild. Wind Waker, Wind Waker got one. Uh, Ocarina of Time technically got one. Um, yeah, but it wasn't called 2, I guess is what I'm saying. I mean, yeah, hey, uh, Link's Awakening uh, is a direct sequel to Link to the Past, and so is... Yeah, it is. Um, the Oracle games, those are all the same link. Yeah. Which is um, wild. It, it doesn't actually make sense if you try and put in a timeline. <laughs> yeah, because Link Between Worlds makes it so that some of the, the Oracle games don't make sense, right? Um, None of them make sense in reaction to each other. Like, the only one that makes yeah. sense... Because it's supposed to be like, Link to the Past happens, right? And then Link... Yeah goes off and the Oracle game, both of the Oracle games happen. And then when he's coming back to Hyrule from wherever weird made up land that's far off in Oracle, he's coming back to Hyrule and he gets lost at sea and Link's Awakening happens. That's like supposed to be the timeline. Okay. And then after Link's Awakening is a link between worlds. Yeah, but it's, it takes place like thousands of years after a link to the past. Or like a hundred, a couple yeah. hundred years. So it's a different link, but it's. But isn't the original link like a character in that game, though? No, um, and no? I can't explain that because it's spoilers. <laughs> okay. There's. Um. You're getting. Yeah. So this. You're this thinking of thing. you're thinking of Twilight Princess. Yeah, there's the Hero Shade and Twilight Princess, there's which the... is Ocarina of Time adult Link, right? Yeah, like, it yeah. was implied to be, and then they straight up confirmed it in, like, the Hyrule Historia. Yeah. And then there's, like, there's the the first Link, which is arguable whether or not it's Skyward Sword Link or not. That's still up for debate, and it's very confusing. Huh. I watched a whole video about it, and he didn't it's actually come to a conclusion. Why? Why is there even one? Like, honestly, um... you don't. I mean, you might need it for like the link to the past thing, you know, where it's like, yeah, just do it like SMT does, where there's like connections, but don't really worry about it if you don't. Yeah, especially because you know. Uh, Breath of the Wild happens. And Breath of the Wild seems to imply that everything is canon, which means there's some weird timeline convergence that happens before Breath of the Wild. Breath of the Wild is the the turn A Godzilla Final Wars of... Yeah. That would be cool. I think that would be cool if they leaned into that, but they don't really. They just kind of... It's because they have to like map it to a timeline that they've already created, which already was shoving a bunch of stuff into a timeline retroactively to try and make it look like they planned it all. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and it's and, and most most of the stuff that like makes it like the because the vanilla game for Breath of the Wild is like 
I think very clearly supposed to be like the adult Link timeline from Oot. And then the DLC introduced like shit from Majora's Mask. <laughs> and they said it was canon. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't. <laughs> I watch. I, I watch a lot of Zelda lore videos, but I don't actually. Most of the like Zelda lore stuff that you find on YouTube is actually more concerned with like the individual games than making yeah. connections between them, because that's like the more interesting thing to do is to like interpolate or interpret things in the games of like little environmental storytelling than figuring out how this one connects to this one, which is ultimately like boring because they don't actually. Yeah. Link oh, to the past. Man. The only reason Link to the past and Link's Awakening are connected is because Link's Awakening started out as a port of Link to the past to the Game Boy. Yeah. And then they they in the once they started decided in the Hyrule Historia that they needed a timeline, they decided to shoehorn the um the Oracle games into that timeline as the the to be the same Link, even though that doesn't really work at all. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. The whole thing's just fucking stupid. Um, like, in terms of, like, direct, direct sequels, uh, you have the Wind Waker stuff. Well, Wind right? Waker only had one sequel. The other two... It has two stuff. sequels. What, what are the other two? There's Phantom Hourglass, and there is Spirit Tracks. Spirit Tracks is not a... Uh... That's a different link than the Wind Waker. It's a different link, but it's a sequel. Like it's hard confirmed to be that uh, the land, the new Hyrule that they found uh, after Phantom Hourglass is where Spirit Tracks takes place. Okay, yeah, I mean that makes sense, but it's not like when you say direct sequel, I think same link. Oh, okay. Yeah, in that case, it's like you know, Phantom Hourglass is like the same link and Tetris there and. Um, yeah, and then one and two are the same link, obviously. But yeah, and it's interesting because like um, Spirit Tracks is only I think like two generations after uh, Phantom Hourglass. Yeah. So like um, it's it's within recent memory when like the Wind Waker shit happened. But yeah, know, by all rights. Um, link Link Between Worlds is like the same way. It's like yeah, it's like less than a hundred years. Or almost, maybe even almost a hundred years, because they're, sometimes they're consistent about like the hero coming every hundred years or whatever, and sometimes they don't. I mean, it doesn't matter, you know. Yeah. But um, it's it's close enough to where, like, it's close enough to link to the past where they can refer to the hero and like the old man in the town mentions that you look like the old hero when you get your full tunic and everything. Yeah. But it's far enough out to where it's all new but all the the map is the same i don't know zelda's there's it's if you, it, this is like pointless really yeah i mean it's kind of fun yeah, to dumb. think about but if you think about it for more than like 10 minutes it becomes utterly pointless <laughs> have you yeah, seen uh... oh go ahead Yeah, this is the timeline's fucking stupid. <laughs> yes. Have you seen those videos that are like, speaking of, we were talking about Pokemon earlier, the Did You Know Gaming videos that are like, they found an old uh, Japanese book that came out around the time of Red and Blue, or Red and Green in Japan, 
um, that's yeah. like a Pokedex book and has a bunch of like unique Pokedex entries that are like really contradictory and old and cool, and they they're like translating them all. That's cool. Um, they have and they got the uh, the guy who translated and did all the Pokemon names for like Gen one through five to translate it for him. So it's like local. It's translated by the guy who did who worked on the localization team and named most of the Pokemon for the English uh, releases. Yeah, it's really neat. Um... But they'll just like straight up mention like. Like back then in Pokemon, they would just straight up mention like the Cayman Islands or like real world yeah. places because it was meant to be Japan, you know. Well, Lieutenant Surge was supposed to be from America, right? He he looked like Guile. Yeah. Uh, he fought in the Pokemon Wars. Yeah, the definite. He fought in the definitely not Vietnam. Um, uh, which there's actually a couple entries about the the wars in that that are only ever mentioned in that one Japanese Pokedex that Lieutenant Surge fought in. It's mentioned yeah. like I think in in Raichu's Pokedex, it's mentioned that like Raichu's were used on the front lines, <laughs> just like electrocuting people. Yeah, it's fucked up, but whatever. I don't think um, they have. I don't think you have wars in Pokemon anymore. After like, I would have to imagine you just have to like ban that. You know. Yeah, that's why everything is like a friendly competition. Every you solve your problems and defeat crime syndicates by like having a duel. Because <laughs> like at least when you when you duel somebody in Yu-Gi-Oh, they get like punished by an Egyptian god. You know, <laughs> in Pokemon, it's just like the honor code. It's like, oh, you beat me, dang. Yeah, yeah. it's weird. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I would say you should watch the Castlevania TV show. That's I've been meaning to. It's just it's been on the back burner. I watched uh, Invincible recently. That was pretty good. I've watched um, half of it, which it's only like six episodes, so I don't know why yeah. I only watched half of it. But the episodes are long; they're like over an hour. Some of them. Yeah, uh, I've been meaning to watch the other half. Um, <clears throat> I've been meaning to finish season two of the boys as well. Like very slowly going through that. Get that superhero. Yeah. Watch and it. Cobra what? Kai. Have you watched Cobra Kai? I have. I'm, I've watched all seasons of it. Yeah. I, I still, I think I'm on like season three. Um, Cobra is that, Kai is great. It's really good. It's, it's goofy and it's dumb, but I love it. Yeah. Have you, have it, you... It's, it's not, I mean, it's not like a reasonable, like, edge of your seat drama or anything you know it's you know what's gonna happen no it's yeah almost like by design you know what's gonna happen in cobra kai where it's like there are so many times where because i watched it with my dad and there were so many times where like something would happen and we we would have just like called it like five minutes ago and i think it's i think it's that way it's written that way by design yeah to to make the audience feel like oh i i recognize that (laughs) you know yeah um have you have you gotten to where uh, I guess this is minor spoilers, but to where Crease comes back? Yes, I have. Yeah, that I think he's probably one of the most interesting characters in the show. Like the way they bring him back, and yeah, what they do with him after that is really neat. They have you gotten to his Vietnam flashbacks? Uh, maybe. There's like I don't a, there's like a whole episode that is a flashback to Vietnam and shows Crease like 
Okay, I don't think I've seen that episode. Okay, yet, yeah, um, it's really it has like a, another actor is that, playing is that, him. Is that after uh, he gets like the boot from the dojo? Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's why. So I probably haven't seen it. How yet. many seasons are there? Three or four seasons? I think there's a fourth coming out. Okay, I'm trying to remember how because there's four Castlevania seasons. Yeah, uh, season four had like a teaser trailer in May. Okay. Um, they're bringing back Terry Silver from the Karate Kid three, two. I don't remember. They they brought back um they brought back all of the uh in one episode in season three they bring back all of the other Cobra Kai goons. Yeah. That are uh you know that that Johnny had in the original and they're like all like old and have moved on. That's really funny. And, and oh yeah, John- I remember that. And like one of them is like dying of cancer. Yeah, and they have to put him yeah. in a body bag because he's the guy who yeah. said put him in a body bag <laughs> in the original. Yeah, and so they, <laughs> yeah, Cobra Kai is 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 great. I I really enjoyed yeah. it. Um, yeah, it's kind of it's really it a, interesting. Apparently, um, Ralph a, you, Macchio had a lot to do with it, even being like greenlit in the first place. Yeah, he's um, he's one of the producers on, and I'm pretty sure like yeah. one of the executive producers. That doesn't surprise me. It's yeah, it's cool that they managed to make this work like at all because there's been many attempts to do things like this and all of them have failed. I think I think it's a, a big part of that is that they made it a TV show instead of like a new movie. Yeah, I think. I mean, that... there's been there's been some attempts to do it TV wise too, and it still never really worked out. Um... Yeah, but I think that sort of like slow build up that a TV show has, like the pacing of of Cobra Kai wouldn't work as well in a movie you know yeah. where you, you just don't have enough to to because it, it definitely has an ensemble I, cast I think, which I the karate think, kid never really had i think it being a streaming series has a lot to do with it because if this was a cable series they would be fighting with executives every episode yeah that's a big it started out as a youtube red original yeah that was before it was called and, youtube premium it was, yeah <laughs> Do they call it YouTube Premium now? I don't know. I use AdBlock. Yeah, it's called it. YouTube Premium now. Um, okay. <laughs> I don't. I don't even know what's on YouTube Premium. Like, apparently, PewDiePie has a show on that. That's. Yeah. Now that Cobra yeah. Kai isn't on there, that was like the yeah, one Cobra thing Kai they had. Yeah, Cobra Kai isn't on there anymore. Netflix bought it from YouTube. Yeah, that's when I watched it when it got added to Netflix. I think that's when most people watched it because it was kind of bombing on YouTube from what I understand. Sony was also uh, a big supporter of the show, um, which is yeah, why you ev- see like a PS Vita in, in multiple episodes. Yeah, and everyone has like Sony phones. Yeah. And, yeah, and, like, I, I don't think I know a person in real life with a Sony phone. Yeah. Apparently <laughs> some of their Android phones are good, but they only support them for like a year and then you hit end of life and they start to slow down. Um. But yeah, Castlevania is like I think it's they just had their fourth season, which like wrapped up all the Trevor stuff. Um, but season one is like four episodes, so it's yeah. like it's really it feels like the third season, even though like season one and two is like in total like it's short yeah. sixteen episodes because I think season two is like twelve. Um, so I kind of yeah, I forget season that one, it's, season one is like basically just. Trevor doing like a side story. It's a it's it's a test. I mean, it's a four episode pilot essentially. Yeah. That season two picks off picks off on it. It does have a little slow start, so 
I can see how you could get those through those first two episodes. What I would suggest doing if you're really interested in getting into it is just burning through that first season and then getting to season two because that's where they start introducing a lot of the ensemble cast and a lot of side characters they that are yeah. I think are like I got really to that because that's where they start. That's where they start doing stuff with like Alucard, right? Yeah, Alucard comes in yeah. at like end of season one. Um, yeah. But then season season two, they kind of they have a, a lot more focus on the bad guys and like Dracula has all of these like vampires who are vying for power under him and like weird stuff like that happening. Um, uh, speaking of speaking of Netflix animated stuff, did you watch Yasuke? I watched like episode the first episode and like bounced off real hard. Uh, it picks up after like three episodes. Okay, it, that's what I was told, start. and I just yeah. Maybe I should watch. I just the voice acting was was not there for me. Oh, I watched it in Japanese. That's, uh, yeah. Well, I wanted to see um, Lakeith Stanfield because I really like yeah. him as an actor, but he well, as a guy, voice actor, he just does not does, get it. The guy who does the voice for Yasuke in Japanese is like the only black man in the Japanese entertainment industry. Yeah, I'll have to watch it in Japanese. That'll probably be a, a little more bearable than the dub. It's it's like it's like him, his dad, who was like a movie star, and his bro- his half brother, who's like the best basketball player in Southeast Asia. <laughs> is that why like every black person in a Japanese manga is like drawn the same way? Are they like based off that guy? Probably. Probably, yeah. <laughs> There's, I mean. I, they 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 don't see it right like there's not a huge black demographic in japan like the population is like 99 percent japanese right yeah there's not even there's not a huge non-japanese demographic yeah there's a there's, in there's like a small quarter in tokyo where there's like a decent amount of white people and most of them are just there like business tripping right yeah and um in Yu-Gi-Oh, there's a there's a part where they're all reading this American comic, and it's like this big old Spawn parody. Oh, that's great! And he like draws like these like like big boobied like '90s comic women that in like a it's it's like it's 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 a manga artist trying to draw like Todd McFarlane, but still like keeping it in his manga style. It's weird, <laughs> but it's <laughs> like there's like two full pages of the comic that are that he does in in this like weird. Like spawn parody. That's cool. Yeah, he reads. Uh, Takahashi is a big fan of Western comics, actually. Uh, fairly uniquely among mangaka, most don't really read Western comics, from what I understand. Yeah, that was that was a big thing people were saying when My Hero started was that like, uh, whoever what was his name, the author, I forget it. It escapes me. Um, yeah, I, I used to remember the name, but I don't anymore. He he had a a big inspiration with like obviously with the superhero stuff, but a lot of that early art had like like he drew Spider Man in like chapter one and like silhouetted you know of heroes yeah. and uh, and like Moon he's a big fan of Moon Knight apparently yeah the uh, which Japan the in general did... is a big fan of Moon Knight because Moon Knight was actually pulled from a Tokusatsu yeah the guy who did like the actual like physical manga release art for One Punch Man like not the original webcomic. Yeah, uh, what's uh, his name? The Yusuke Murata, the Ice Shield. Murata. Murata's a big fan of Western comics too. He's actually done some covers for Marvel. Yeah, those are great. Look, he did. He did a couple. He draws Spider-Man, Spider-Man really cool. Yeah, 
yeah, I I've seen those before. Um, I need. I've been meaning to read Eye Shield Twenty One. That seems like a cool or Slam. Eye which, Shield did is he cool. Do, yeah. Did he do Eye Shield or was he Slam Dunk? I think he did Eye Shield. Yeah. Who did? Who was was Slam Dunk? That's the basketball one, right? Yeah. That's the basketball <laughs> one from uh, the guy who's retired now. I think. Uh, yeah, Murata did Eye Shield. Uh, the art. It's the Vagabond guy that did Slam Dunk. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, I've never really gotten into like sports anime or manga. Like, I had a, I had some friends who were into Haikyuu, because like that's the one that's popular with like Zoomers. Yeah. Slam Dunk is like weird because like everyone looks gross. Yeah. Like he draw, he's yeah, really should, good at you drawing. Check sweat. out Ice Shield. Because Ice Shield is actually like more of a seinen series, from what I understand. Uh, I read a I read a lacrosse manga when I was reading uh, Shonen Jump every week. It was like a four chapter lacrosse manga. Yeah. Ice Shield Twenty One was. This doesn't look like his art, though. Is it? He did the art for it, yeah. You. Okay, yeah, he did. It's yeah. just it's what he did before One Punch Man, so it's like a little more cartoony. It's not as like yeah sleek as some of the series. Um, like, have you ever? Uh, are you aware of Prince of Tennis? Yeah, Prince of Tennis was always one of those things that were in uh like my periphery. Big, like I saw it. I saw like thing... commercials for it on anime DVDs, and I'm like, this looks cool. Yeah. The big thing about Prince of Tennis that I think stands out that people remember is that all the covers for the for the Tonkabon volumes uh, have landscape art. They're not oh really? They're not in like portrait scale. They're in landscape scale, so you have to like turn it sideways oh, yeah. to view it. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I, I I miss collecting manga when I would just like spend my allowance on old <laughs> Tonkabon. Yeah. Um. I always watched. I I had a bunch of anime DVDs, and like there was always a Prince of Tennis ad and Kenichi. Those were always the ads that Kenichi. Yeah, Funimation pushed Kenichi really hard, which is funny because I think that anime got canned in Japan. <laughs> the manga you know that... kept going though. Uh, the, the manga, from what I understand, for Kenichi is a lot less pervy than the anime as well. Um, I might have to read that then. Yeah. Um, did you know that Yusuke Murata actually designed two robot masters for Mega Man Four and Five? Oh, I didn't know that. He was part of a. He was like twelve years old, and he did like the um, the contest designs. He entered oh. for Dust Man in Mega Man Four and Crystal Man in Mega Man Five. No, Dust Man's like a really iconic design too. Yeah. Yeah. He, he did that when he was twelve. I love. Have you ever seen those old, um, like those old uh, robot master contests from Nintendo Power in America? No, I haven't. Where like it's like just kids in the eighties like sending in their robot master ideas. That's cool. Um. Yeah, send me some of those later. I'll take a look at them. 
There's there's actually a lot of cool ones because they did them in Japan too. I don't think any of the like the Nintendo Power ones ever got actually used, but in Japan they actually used them, like for Murata and yeah. a couple other. Anyway, uh, I don't have much else to talk about. Yeah, uh, Halo thing on. is cool. New Halo going to be good, I think. Yeah, Halo. Halo, it uh, looks cool. Watch out, watch out for spoilers because apparently most of the general plot de- plot beats of the uh, of the campaign have been leaked due to certain stuff in the game files. Yeah, that's that kind of stuff happens, doesn't it? Yep. Well, it's not as bad as like Yakuza Six leaking the entire. Was it Yakuza Six or Yakuza Five, where uh, you could just keep six playing with the demo? The demo- yeah, they they didn't have the time gate on the demo, so it <laughs> it was just the whole game. Yeah, there's there was a couple. There was another game that was, was it Dragon Quest Eleven that had that problem. DQ Eleven uh, on the demo. Maybe. I was there was there was like a couple just other RPGs the where the demos were just like a time gated thing, but then they just ended up releasing the whole game. Yeah. I don't remember. Um, yeah, so I don't have anything else to talk about, really. Uh, we'll talk about what looks to be like a pretty crusty Kiss album next week. Yeah, that's going to be fun, I think. I'm excited for that. Um, yeah, so this is... I'm probably going to uh, make the thumbnail and upload this after work tomorrow, so it'll be a Monday night, which is later than I'd like, but... That's just the way the cookie crumbles. Yeah, it's, I had I just had to go to a fish show. Yeah. Um, they played like they played a lot of of like really good music. <laughs> yeah. Like it was it was definitely the biggest concert I've ever been to. Um, yeah. I don't know how to yeah. end a podcast. We don't know how to end a freaking podcast. Yeah, we're bad at that, yeah. I mean, I I don't really have anything else to talk about. You don't really have anything else to talk about. So uh, next week, uh, I don't even remember the name of the album for next week. Uh, rock and Roll Over. Rock and Roll Over, that's right. We're going to rock It sounds and roll like over. I made that up. Like, it sounds like I just pulled that out of my ass. Yeah. And I'm sure Gene did. Simmons it's probably... Yeah, the pro- I'm sure they pulled it out of their ass when they were like, we yeah. need a name for this album. Yeah, I'm going to rock and roll over and go back to fucking bed because this album sounds like it's going to be terrible. But anyway, <laughs> um, that's that's it for the show. That's Goodbye. the podcast. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. <laughs>